You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Steamheart. Chapter 28. Tiger Heart. This is Raven. Rowana, you come from a world where the western continent, the mirror of our North America, is peopled by a nation of divided cat tribes. Is that right? Hold on. We don't have signs for a lot of what you're saying yet. I mean your equivalent of Europeans have not yet invaded, tricked, fought, and displaced the first peoples, and begun a systematic genocide in order to conquer and claim the land for themselves. Am I correct there? Dios mio, man. Give me a moment. Sure, I'll wait. No. No, they have not yet begun to do this in earnest. But she worries every night that what you speak of will come to pass in her reality. What will you two do if you get back there? Prevent disaster. And if you can't? We must try. Butler. During the lengthy periods of downtime when Steamheart was off the road, I would walk through the wild, unattended forests of Mississippi with Rao and Miguel, watching them hunt as they brought us our supper. It was most usually white-tailed deer, and watching the cat take one down was hypnotic. She moved so fast and with such elegance. It was poetry. Miguel has a talent for mimicry and quick wits, and watching the pair move together, you'd think he was the same species, springing and attacking with swiftness and precision. He has to make himself visibly straighten up and alter his gait and posture to talk to us as a human. It would be unnerving if I didn't already have a grasp on how good-hearted this boy is. We learn pieces of one another's languages, Miguel acting as teacher going back and forth between the basic signs and the basic words. Some of our crew are better than others, and I will confess I'm not the best at remembering the different handshapes. I may have to resort to the words I'm sure she knows if we're in a pinch. Harry and James, of all people, took to the signing better than any of us. Arlington, because she says it's like a coded schematic, and the Doctor, because he has an excellent memory. Rao is, however, continually untrusting of my guns. One afternoon, I took our newcomers aside and talked them through the rifle and the pistol, explaining each part and what they could do at which range. Rao seemed impressed with my and Annie's abilities after we put on an impromptu target shoot, but she has not grown comfortable having them near. She says it was because she had been shot with rifles before, and we learned about the tranquilizer weaponry of the day-walking lions and their kind over the sea from the story. So it is understandable. I swore I would protect them both with these weapons, to the best of my abilities. One evening, while Annie was watching James, I took Miguel out to hunt and let him find our dinner while I brought it down. Gave me a chance to talk to him about a potentially thorny issue. So you're dead set on leaving the RSA military when all this is done, I murmured, not looking directly at him, keeping things as relaxed as possible. I was in the army for about an afternoon, he replied, a little trepidation in his voice. It's all right, son. Nobody's going to make you re-enlist, I reassured him. Frankly, you were too young when your papa signed you up, and you're too young now. I don't hold with them putting boys in uniform anyway. That's something Arkansas were doing. And a few other places. But back during the war, the civil one at least, 
The youngest was 18. I know boys lied about their ages in order to serve, he said quietly. They must have loved their country dearly. I was too young myself when it started. Only 13 when we moved here from Ireland in 1860. And when it ended? When it ended, I was 18. You're pretty good at math and history. I just pay attention, he replied, his eyes narrowing. Did you think about enlisting near the end? This conversation had not gone at all the way I planned. I took a long breath and told the honest truth. No. It hurt me to say the word. I thought about it, idly. But you're lucky enough to not remember what it was like back then. So many young men just ruined and torn apart and lost. It felt like I would be tossing my life away for a country that wasn't even really mine yet. Miguel did not respond. He only pointed at a deer 200 yards away amid a thicket. I took aim and went on. Besides, the whole bloody thing was coming to a close at my 18th birthday. And here, I could find no more excuses. I squeezed the trigger and the deer dropped. But you joined El Presidente Grant's army in the end, yes? He prompted. That I did. I stopped wandering alone and found a cause that was worthy. And I can honestly say I've grown to be a better man because of that. You know, he mused, you and I are quite the same. He stalked off to claim the deer, calling over his shoulder as he went. And we're both immigrants. Harry. I like Miguel a lot. I like Miguel a lot. He started asking about Steamheart on the first evening. I think we were still finding new things to investigate after the fourth day back on the road. He confessed he knows very little about technology, but he loves seeing it in action. I think he was relieved to find someone who wasn't going to ask him questions about his big purple friend all day long. Miguel tells me that since the pair of them met, one watches over the other while they sleep in shifts. Only very occasionally have they been somewhere secure enough, around trusted individuals, to both drift off at once. Seeing as I have such an awkward relationship with sleep, either forcing myself into it or, or else lapsing into a trance at inopportune moments, I can appreciate why a sense of all things being right with the world, work done, environment stable, might be important. On the evenings, I like to tread quietly, back through the carriages, past each sleeping member of Team Steam, in their bunks and hammocks, while the light is low, and a kind of peace settles upon us, all the way until I reach the far end, just to catch the two of them curled up together, and dreaming. On my birthday, July 7th, I have just one request. Rao stands at the top of a steep, grassy hill, with me clinging to her back. I have nowhere near the surety of Miguel when he does this, and I clutch at her sides with my knees. Off down below stand the others. I can see Annie is looking nervous. Butler 
is quietly trying to reassure her. But Abigail and Miguel are cheering. I whisper into her owl's twitching, furry, purple ear. I'm ready. I'm ready. The world lurches and the ground beneath us seems to melt away as the tiger roars enthusiastically and bounds forwards. I squeal in fright and excitement. As my heart races, the wind blows against me and my fingers lock around the leather armor as I cling on for dear life. We spring and bound down the slope and wind up beside our own team where I am borne up on everyone's shoulders. It must have been over in a few seconds. That was how fast she was going. But during that time, I felt free and alive, helpless, yet powerful. It was a curious contradiction, and it felt significant for me to place such trust in another. Happy birthday, Truth. I hope yours was as good as mine. Abigail. All of this big to-do about the tiger was a nice distraction for the rest of the group that got their attention off of Harry and me becoming... What were we? I would say lovers, but we'd spent so much time around everyone else that it felt awkward to attempt romance. And whenever we'd try to get a little private time together on an evening, Oakley always had to accompany me. Oh, there ain't no way in hell I'm letting you go wandering off into the woods, Gray. Whatever you two have got to do, you got to do it while I'm nearby. And that's a hell of a mood killer, knowing you have a gun-toting woman, arms folded, standing guard a few trees away, trying to keep her back turned to you, but obligated to keep scanning the area and listening out for danger. It made the two of us woefully self-conscious. Lord, though, Harry's a good kisser. She's making up for lost time, and no mistake. I keep trying to lose myself in those moments with her, but I'll confess, Oakley's paranoia is somewhat justified. Those woods and plains are scary. We have gone a long while without meeting another human being, and God knows what's out there. I think back to what Thomas said about the Wendigo attacks dropping since he made his little deal with Seth. And while we traveled through the eastern states, we honestly haven't seen a single one. Oh, there's been plenty of sign of their inhabitation, but no living Wendigos. Now we're in Mississippi, at the base of the forbidden territories that Seth reserved for his kind. Now, true, we didn't see any in Missouri either, but every day we get closer to the lion's den of the southern door, I get more on edge. And James is morose and sad and missing Rebecca. And as much as it hurts me deep inside to think of the two of them in bed together, I find I'm ashamed of my jealousy. I've been guarding what I always wanted to think of as somehow mine. And if I'm honest, when I see him sad like this, I think of Lucy and my heart just breaks all over again. If he feels anything similar for me, then... Surely my carrying on with Harry like this is making it worse. But I definitely care about her too much to call things off just to make James feel better. At night, I lie in Harry's fold-down chair bed, entwined with this slender, soft, earnest, astonishing lady. 
and we look up at the stars through the cockpit windshield and wonder if there will ever be a time when we can just be the two of us and not have to worry about what important things we must do. But every morning, we wake. And the control panel of steam heart is right there, with the road stretching out before us in the dawn light. One afternoon, when we'd parked ourselves next to a wide, grassy field and the wind was rustling through the trees, I could feel a curious part of myself flexing. I found Miguel conversing with Pines and borrowed him. The boy seemed thankful, as Jeremy had been asking again about the plant life of Rama, and I suspect he was getting a little bored of describing trees for the fifteenth time. What do you need me for? He asked. I've got a little thing I want to do, but I don't want to come off as disrespectful. I divulged. Oh, yes? I want to fight your mom. Miguel stared at me. Let me understand this. He said slowly. You made a force of nature from another world. One that towers above you. That has the power to bring down zebras with her bare paws. One who moves so fast she could slice your throat and be 20 yards away before you hit the ground. And your decision is... To fight her? He shrugged. Good luck. You hit the nail on the head. You're a smart kid, I replied quickly. It's a ludicrous and lethal proposition. And I don't want what I'm saying to come off like I've sized her up and I'm all neurotic about my own abilities as a pugilist, so my only recourse is to challenge the first stronger person I meet. That's not what this is. I swear. He continued to gaze at me. I'd be fucking nuts. Sorry. I'd be completely loopy to challenge her in a real fight. But can we maybe spar? No clawing required? I just want to get to know her better, and there are other ways of doing that than just talking. He tilted his head and a crooked grin rode across his face. Yes, I think I can arrange that. On an afternoon, the woman, a word I now understand means female men, Abigail, asks me to fight. I'll kill you, Miguel expresses at my instruction. Abigail says some things to him and I recognize a few familiar words from this. Not a kill fight, a play fight. I straighten up and stand over her looking down on this admittedly tall woman. How do we fight? I ask. If you knock me over, you get a point. But I've seen you move. If I can land a hit on you, I get a point. First to ten points is the winner. All right, I say. And the steam tribe gathers round us on the short grass. Abigail removes her leather crown and armored robe and rolls up her shirt sleeves then raises her paws, jabbing them thunderously, and dances back and forth. It is not foolish. I watch each movement as I remove my armor. There is surety there. She makes a pretend blow with her right paw to my gut, and then with speed sweeps in with a hard left to the side. Her attack does not hurt much, though I sense she held back a deal of her power. Okay, then. I signal one point to her and enter a tie-yar water form. 
She darts around behind me, and as I turn, another blow brushes past my side. I had anticipated this and moved, and in the moment she is readjusting herself, I strike out and hook her left leg with a velveted paw, sending her onto her back. (laughs) She makes that laughing sound, and I nod to Miguel. One point each. What follows is not a great deal of generosity from me. Abigail makes relentless attacks and is batted aside, thrust onto her back, kicked, swept over, and at one point whipped with my tail. What? Eight points to me, one to her. I decide to let her win a little and take a hammer to the gut, which is fairly hard this time. Suddenly she has a whirlwind of paws, drawing on stamina I believed she had exhausted. I dodge and weave, evading most of the hits, but she has been studying how I move as much as I have observed her and she anticipates my angles of retreat, intercepting them with fast hits, catching my leg, arm, and chest. Eight to me, five to her. We catch our breath as we circle one another. I need to stop playing and end this. I calmly wait for her charge. When it comes, I begin to move to one side and name for her aggressive outstretched paw, but it has already been retracted, and she kicks off away from the ground. Using my arm as a springboard and climbing into the air, she socks me right in the jaw, growl in amazement, and thrust my paw against her chest, slamming her down to the grass and knocking the wind out of her. Nine to six. Now, rather than attacking, she stands still, eyes closed, imitating my movements. I am uncertain whether this is making fun of me or attempting to harness my mindset, but I spring forward, roaring for a big, impressive finish. My paws connect with her shoulders, and she is borne down onto her back once more, though I am careful not to hurt her badly or put my full weight on top of her. Something is wrong. I, I cannot close my mouth. Her paw is thrust inside, and she is holding the edge of my tongue. As I look down, she wears an expression similar to those I have seen Miguel take on in moments of triumph or joy, and occasionally defiance. Ten, seven. I win, but I'm impressed. I gently set my middle teeth against her arm and indicate that I could, if I so choose, bite off her paw. Of course she knows this, and she releases my tongue. I stand, and we dust ourselves off while her tribe clap their paws together. Abigail lowers her knee and bows her head, glancing at Miguel, who nods that she has assumed the correct, respectful position. I'm further impressed that she thought to ask him this beforehand, and came to fight me knowing she would lose. I bring her to her feet and ask Miguel to translate for me. Rao says she once knew another brave warrior. With one eye. You have been listening to episode 28 of Steamheart, Tigerheart. Written and directed by Alexander Shaw. Harau, performed by Maureen Foley. Harry Arlington, performed by Loretta Saylor. Miguel, Raven and James, performed by Alex Shaw. Abigail Gray, performed by Sharon Shaw. Frank Butler, performed by Spencer Lieb. 
Spanish language consultants for episode 26, Clause Encounter, Kevin de Frejitas and Estefana Moreno. Where the West Begins, composed by Ferenc Hegedus of Shockwave Sound. Taffy Muradi, Lost Frontier, Smoking Gun, Thunder Dreams, Sardana, World Vice and Ossuary, composed and performed by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. Many soundscapes, including a solemn vow by Tabletop Audio. Our $15 patrons get sponsor credit every episode, so major thanks to Joel Robinson, Benjamin Biddle, Abel Savard, Michael Hasco, a newcomer Adam Kilmartin, Joe Gasiga, Greg Downing, Tim Rosinski, Christopher Wolf, Kat Esman, Cassandra Newman, Timothy Green, Matthew A. Siebert, Joseph Gluck, Kevin Otero, Luke Hatfield, Nick Ord, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finbar Nicole, Jameis Enright, Mark Lush, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, Kieran Datchler, and Lorraine Cheshire. And for the first time since June of 2018, I've noticed that someone has been kind and gracious enough to leave us an iTunes review. A big, big thank you to ShopOwner AK79. And an equally big thank you to Zachary Allen, who has been leaving us positive reviews for the books on Amazon. I spotted new ones for Let Them Go and Secret Rooms. Especially if you aren't on Patreon at all, this is really giving back to the New Century Multiverse in a way that costs only a little of your time, but makes all the difference. <laughs>